Fast Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM, it all happens here. For today's Culture Club, we're joined, I think, by the first Zambian to have ever done the Culture Club, although she now lives in New Zealand. She grew up in Navan, County Meath, and she has published her debut novel, The Last Days of Joy. And Tiernan, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So, before I get to all your choices in the Culture Club, I do want to talk to you about your book, because you have in talking about the book, also brought up an awful lot of your own family history, which has informed the book, Mm -hmm. particularly about your mother. Tell us about this. Yeah, so uh, my mother took her own life in 2010. And I I guess because I was living in New Zealand, um, I was pregnant, heavily pregnant with with my third child when I got the news and went into labour that day and my son was born the next day. So I couldn't come home for the funeral. Um, I had to watch that uh, over Skype. I think a lot of people would have had that experience uh, with COVID. But you had it for different reasons many, many years earlier. Uh, yes. Um, so I uh, couldn't come home for the funeral. And uh, I think because of the geographical distance and also I would say the emotional distance that was between myself and my mum growing up, she was somebody who really struggled with motherhood, um, struggled with life. Um, You know, she was an alcoholic. Um, So because of all those reasons, I didn't, and because I couldn't, you know, I I lived so far away, uh, I didn't really process her death for a long time. And then in 2017, I decided I'd write a novel. And I had an image in my head of a woman in a coma surrounded by her three children and within that scenario a lot of ambivalence and conflict but I'd know apart from that I'd know kind of any other idea of plot or character and I kind of sat on the image for a long time and uh, then my brother said to me look why don't you just start to write why don't you just see what happens and um, I had no idea how this woman that I saw in this image, I had no idea how she came to be in a coma. Uh, so I had no real plan for it. But I started to write and my character Joy turned up on the first page with a bottle of vodka and a gun in front of her. So I just went with it. And, it, you know, she attempts suicide. And I think the book became my attempt at processing my mother's death. And how are you now? Good. Yeah, really good. Like I, it took me a couple of years to write it. And I think I went through the same process that a lot of that my the children in my book went through. They kind of go from anger and numbness um, through to acceptance and peace. Because I read a piece that I was fascinated by, the honesty of it and how well written it was about when shortly after your son was born, you did come home to Ireland to visit the gravesite. And yet you had this sort of stoicism that you didn't break down in any way as you might have expected and others might have expected of you. You know, Matt, I don't think it was stoicism. I think it was just numbness. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I was standing there and it was it should have been an incredibly poignant moment. Um, you know, because at that stage there was no headstone on the grave. It was just this little wooden cross. And I looked down... 
And, I, you know, I was standing there as my mother was buried there and I felt very little. And I looked beside me and it was the the, the grave belonged to my old history teacher. Um, and then I looked down to the end of the row and it was a gravestone in the shape of a teddy bear that was belonging to a small child. And, um, yeah, I felt more looking at those than I did looking at my own mother's grave. So I don't, yeah, I don't know if it was stoicism. I think it was, I was just numb at that stage. But the last days of joy isn't a factual recreation. This is your imagination of a woman similar to her and children, maybe similar to you and your family, is it? Yeah, no, it's, it's, I definitely gave them all a very different narrative. Uh, I gave, I purposely gave joy a very different narrative to my mother's narrative um, but yes, yeah, certainly some of the things that she struggled with, like alcohol uh, and depression and, you know, ultimately attempting to take her own life. They're definitely things that I, you know, took from my mother and the children as well. They would have very different narratives to me and my siblings. Um, uh, but I think there's a part of me in all of the characters, in all of the children. Uh, I know there are some writers who seem to be able to conjure up characters out of out of fresh air, and uh, but I'm not one of those writers. I think I rely on myself a lot and my own thoughts and feelings when I'm when I'm coming up with a character. Let's talk a little bit about your culture club choices, please. And we have some great ones to go through. We always ask every guest to start with the first single that they ever bought or will admit to having <laughs> bought. Tell us about your choice. And this, I like this one, actually. Uh, Phil Collins and Philip Bailey, Easy Lover. God, I was, you know, I was mortified, actually. Why? Uh, well, first of all, it's two guys slut-shaming this woman. <laughs> <laughs> because, I never thought of the lyrics too yeah, much, actually, I know, but and there if you, you go, do, yeah. Um, so, uh, because she refuses to be owned and controlled by them. So, uh, they're all a bit upset with her. But um, I was on holidays in Stevenage. Uh, in the early 80s. I was about 10. Uh, I think and it was about 1980. Well, this, these are the glamorous places you go to on holidays in uh, 1980s. Um, so I was staying with my auntie and uh, I had some spending money. So I took myself off to the local record store and I had no idea what to buy. Uh, and I walked in and this is number one. And I thought, okay, this is going to be cool. It must be cool. It's number one. So I bought it and I came home with it and my and then I was made to feel ashamed. My cousin berated me, not because of the slut shaming part, because uh, we weren't that enlightened in the 80s, uh, but because the number two single at the time was We Are the World. Do you remember that uh, charity single? I do. I have to admit, I hate it. Right. Okay. Well, that was number two. And according to my uh, cousin, I was uh, single handedly responsible for prolonging the African famine by my purchase of this. <laughs> <laughs> Which, of course, was very unfair given that you had grown up early years in Zambia. Well, I know, but... And your parents were aid workers, were they? Uh, no, no, no. My dad worked uh, for the Department of Agriculture. Okay. Uh, so he was an agronomist and my mum taught there for a little while. But yeah, that was the reason we were in Zambia. Okay. Did you grow up for many years there? Or do you no, remember No, I was it? three. I was three when we moved back and I... Uh, I always say it's the most interesting part about my childhood and I can't remember any of it, so... Okay, well, let's get to remember a little bit of uh, the slut-shaming by <laughs> Phil Collins and <laughs> Bailey Easy Lover.
Okay, that's it. Phil Collins and Philip Bailey, Easy Lover. Never thought too deeply about the lyrics no, after it back in the pays, 80s. It pays not to. Okay. Favourite album, and you have gone for one by Bob Dylan, Blood on the Tracks. Why have you picked this? Yeah, so I was introduced to this album um, in my 20s by um, a dear friend of mine who's a musician and would know a lot more about music than I did. And I think I was going through a breakup and so was he. And, you know, one of those very melodramatic breakups that you have in your 20s. And we used to go back and um, back to his flat and play this and howl the lyrics at each other and say, how does Bob Dylan understand my pain? Um, but it's but it's like, you know, he takes his heart out and puts it on the turntable in front of you. And um, every nuance and emotion uh in a relationship is explored, you know, there's tenderness and bitterness and love and hate. And um, yeah, I still listen to it, uh, uh, even though I'm not going through a melodramatic breakup. Um, I don't think there's a bad song in the album. Um, And I think that it's not essential to have had your heart broken to listen to this, but I think it really helps. The track that we have is Simple Twist of Fate. They sat together in the park As the evening sky grew dark She looked at him and he felt a spark Tingle to his bones Twas then he felt alone And wished That he'd gone straight And watched out For a simple twist of fate They walked along by the old canal A little confused I remember well And stopped it to a strange hotel With a neon burning bright He felt the heat of the night Hit him like a freight train Bob Dylan, Simple Twist of Fate from Blood on the Tracks. So, Anne Tiernan, who are you nominating as a favourite band or artist? So I chose R.E.M. Um, I think they are the band that really turned me on to music. Um, up until that point, I was... Uh, you know, the only albums I owned were, now that's what I call music, and, <laughs> uh, as did we all, probably. Um, and yeah, it was the late 80s, and I was, myself and my friends were hanging around with a group of boys who were way cooler than we were, and knew a lot about music, and took us to gigs like uh, The Wonder Stuff, and and uh, the Green Album was kind of the soundtrack of that time. Um, and Document had just come out maybe the year before, Uh yeah, and to me, those albums still sound really fresh, you know. But I'll, I'll, I'll still listen to REM now. Uh, um, Automatic for the People, of course, is a classic. It's the ultimate, I think, hangover album for a Sunday morning. Uh, and I've seen them, I've only seen them once, REM, but it was, yeah, a great gig. I think it was uh, Lansdowne Road, maybe in 99. Um, but yeah, they've just... They've stayed with me. I think they say that the the music that you you start to listen to around the age of fifteen or so can be very influential, and that's certainly been the case for me. 
Let's hear a little bit of night swimming. So, Anne Tiernan, you've nominated two best gigs, one here in Ireland before you left to live in New Zealand, where you live now. So tell us about the Irish one first. Yeah, so this is Blur um, in the Olympia Theatre in December 2003. And I wonder if I've somehow imbued a lot more meaning onto this uh, gig, uh, because it, as it turned out, it was my last Christmas in Ireland. Uh but it was it was an amazing gig. Uh, the Olympia is such a great venue. <laughs> you Absolutely, just, yeah. You feel so close to the stage, and I remember, you know, it was close to Christmas, and I was there with my best friend, and we were standing up, and everybody was swaying. They were playing the Universal, and to quote another Blur song, I just felt this enormous sense of well-being. Um, it was yeah a magic gig. But like I say, I think I wonder because it was my last Christmas in Ireland, if I've, you know, looked back on ro- with rose-tinted glasses, um, it's, it's taken on a lot of meaning for me. Why did you leave Ireland? Love, I guess. I <laughs> I was working in ACC Bank on Charlemont Place and uh, I met this lovely Kiwi bloke and a couple of months after we started dating, he said, uh, listen, Darl, uh, <laughs> My visa's about to expire, so I've got to I've got to go back to New Zealand, and um, uh, I'm going to do a bit of travelling first. Uh, would you like to come? And I had just bought myself a little flat in Chapel Izzard. I just bought myself a little car, uh, but I thought, you know, it's just for a year and a half, so uh, I'll just I'll just go. What the hell? And um, a few months into uh, my stint in Auckland, I discovered I was pregnant which was a bit of a curveball. And I think we were so shell-shocked at that that we couldn't really make any more decisions as to where we were going to live. So uh, we, yeah, I just stayed. So 18 years later, I'm still there. If you, I think if you told me before I had gone that I was not going to come back, I probably wouldn't have gone. I'm so glad I did. Um, and I hope my husband Matt isn't listening. <laughs> um, I'm so glad I did. And I'm so, you know, and I love my life there, but I, yeah, I was such a home bird. I, I, yeah, could never envisage myself living anywhere else but Dublin. Well, tell us about the best gig that you've seen in Auckland. Yeah, so this was the Killers in the Spark Arena in April 2018. And it was one of those gigs where I wasn't really expecting a lot. Uh, not that I didn't like um 
the killers. Um, I absolutely did. But uh, yeah, it was the um, Brandon Flowers just is such a great showman. And he uh, jumped out on stage and they immediately launched into Mr. Brightside, which was such a surprise because you kind of expect that to be in the encore. And the gig is just so full of energy and all different age groups there. So it's a, yeah, it's a real standout. We actually have a clip from that particular no way. gig, which was available <laughs> in YouTube. The sound quality isn't brilliant, but we yeah. hear a little bit of it. Right. Yeah, you can see that's a way to start a concert. Yeah, it's sort yeah. of all downhill from there, isn't it? And uh, there's a danger yeah, of that. Yeah, I know. There would be a danger of that. But luckily, I mean, he's got such a great energy and the band have such great energy that, yeah, they were able to sustain it. So, OK, we need to take a break. Anne Tiernan is with us at following the publication of her debut novel, The Last Days of Joy. We've lots to get to in the second half of the Culture Club, including movies and plays and books and television. And I suppose we better mention her brother's podcast as well. We'll get to all of that when we come back after this break. The last word with Matt Cooper. Today FM, it all happens here. Welcome back. Anne Tiernan is with us for the Culture Club. She has just published her debut novel, The Last Days of Joy. Seeing as I mentioned the podcast before the break, uh, who's the brother with the podcast? Oh, a little known um, podcaster called Tommy Tiernan. I don't know if you've heard of him. Just a bit. Yeah. You're so unlike him. So like Un- unlike oh, him. Really? Yeah. Like in looks, personality? Everything, everything. I'd say. Everything. Gosh, because people say that we do look alike, but um, that's interesting. Okay. But you have a great head of hair, which he doesn't have. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I've got less facial hair, I hope. Um, and yeah. The podcast, does that keep you in touch, not just with him, but with home as well? Uh, absolutely. Uh, so it is a real thrill for me every week to be able to listen to that and just the, you know, three friends having a bit of crack and yeah, absolutely keeps, you know, it's, you know, listening to my brother, but also listening to three Irish people and... Can you access the RT player to watch his TV show? Yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah, so I have I have watched that as well, which is great. I love it. Very good. But you have all the podcasts as well and we actually have had one of them as a guest here, Elizabeth Day, <gasps> oh, How to yeah. Fail. Yeah. What is it about that that gets you? So I think a lot of it's got to do with Elizabeth Day herself. I think she's a really warm, empathetic, um, knowledgeable, self-deprecating, funny host. You know, she seems to love every single person that she interviews. Um, So, uh, and, you know, it's nice to hear people talk about failure. People who've, you expect, have had nothing but success in their life. It's really nice to hear that you know, they have failed too and they have been rejected. And although often you find with them that their failures have led on to more, you know, even bigger successes. That but sometimes you have to fail to know then the value of success in the yeah, future. I think that's, and that's almost the premise of the show in a way. Yeah. Let's move to, tel- or not, not television, we'll go to movies. And you've picked, yeah, a brilliant movie as your favourite movie, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, maybe it's a bit obvious, but um, so when this came out in the 90s, uh, it was such a phenomenon, of course. You couldn't um, you couldn't go anywhere without somebody uh, quoting 
I don't know, a line about cheese royales or how intimate a foot massage really was. Um, and I really loved it then. Uh, and, you know, it just really grabs you from the opening credits and the music. And I hadn't seen it in a few years and it came onto Netflix in New Zealand anyway, late last year. So I thought, oh, I'll just watch it again and see do I love it as much. And yeah, wow. I think the dialogue is still really dazzling. Um, the characterization is so good. Uh, it's a masterclass in, in screenwriting. Um, the dialogue is so good because it's not about furthering the plot. It's just dialogue for the sake of yeah. good dialogue. And um, uh, yeah, the, the, the acting, the characters, the way it's all quite circular, you know, the way it c comes back in on itself. And um, well, we have a clip featuring yeah. Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, uh, yeah. Looks like me and Vincent caught you boys at breakfast. Sorry about that. Jab. Hamburgers. Hamburgers! The cornerstone of any nutritious breakfast. What kind of hamburgers? Ja che cheeseburgers. No, 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 no. Where'd you get them? McDonald's, Wendy's, Jack in the Box. Where? Uh, Big Kahuna Burger. Big Kahuna Burger? That's that Hawaiian burger joint. I hear they got some tasty burgers. I ain't never had one myself. How are they? They're good. You mind if I try one of yours? This is yours here, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is a tasty burger. Vincent, you ever had a big kahuna burger? Want a bite? They're real tasty. Ain't hungry. Well, if you like burgers, give them a try sometime. Me? I can't usually get them because my girlfriend's a vegetarian, which pretty much makes me a vegetarian, but I do love the taste of a good burger. Mm. You know what they call a quarter pound of a cheese in France? No. Tell them, Vincent. Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. You know why they call it that? Uh, because of the metric system. Check out the big brain on bread. I can see that scene and know what's coming next. I as know, well. and that you know, and the juxtaposition of of that, you know, with with what happens. It's yeah, brilliant. Great choice. Favorite play? Yeah. So uh, I really struggled with this because I couldn't. I can't even remember the last time I was at the theatre. I think it was to see the Book of Mormon, maybe about three years ago. Which is a great choice. That's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. But. That's not the one I chose. Okay. <laughs> so um, uh, I chose Blood Brothers, uh, Willie Russell, and I think it was the Olympia Theatre sometime in the mid 80s. And uh, this is my first time at the theatre. I think I was still in primary school. And so I don't remember much about the cast. I mean, I do remember the story and I remember the songs. Uh, but our, what I remember vividly is that feeling of being just quite overwhelmed by the whole thing. Um, the immediacy of being in a theatre and having the actors next to you and the final song that plays is um, Tell Me It's Not True which is a lovely song um, but I think and I remember crying but I think I was crying more because every, it was over and I would have to leave uh, and I haven't seen it since I don't know um, if it would still resonate as much with me now that play but um, yeah vividly remember the feeling. I've never seen it, so I'm not even sure I know the track that we're playing, which right. is called Bright New Day. And this is from the 1995 London cast recording. We're getting up, we're moving, we're starting all over 
Brothers, does that bring it back to you? Vaguely. Fair enough. It was a long time ago, though. <laughs> okay, favourite book, favourite author. Give us your favourite book first. So I, pre- I picked uh, Pride and Prejudice. Um, I think part of the reason I picked this is that I have a copy that my mum gave me, um, a beautiful red hardback and gold copy with illustrations. Uh, it's one of the few books that I've reread. I think I tend to just read a book once, even if I love it. Um, and but it's a book that I return to a lot because I think you always find something new in it. And uh, yeah, I loved it as a teenager because I really, you know, loved the character of Lizzie. Um, yeah, and even reading it now, the last time I read it, maybe a couple of years ago, and there's um, uh, Charlotte Lucas is talking about the nature of marriage and talking about how, you know, it doesn't matter how well you know somebody when you get married because people change anyway and we all evolve. And I thought, oh, that was quite radical kind of thinking. And yeah, so I think there's so much in there. Um, and every time you read it, you find something new. And tell us about your favourite author, Kate Atkinson. Yeah, so uh, I started reading Kate Atkinson uh, in the 90s. Her first novel came out in 96, I think, behind the scenes of the museum. And I should have been reading Chaucer or something, but I was reading Kate Atkinson instead. But I, I just love her. She's She's got quite a unique voice. Uh, she's uh, dark. You know, if you're a kid in a Kate Atkinson novel, you probably won't make it to the end of the book, unfortunately. <laughs> so, But let's hear a little bit of, from the audiobook of one of her novels, Transcription. Lying on the pavement of Wigmore Street with concerned bystanders all around, She knew there was no way out from this. She was just 60 years old, although it had probably been a long enough life. Yet suddenly it all seemed like an illusion, a dream that had happened to someone else. What an odd thing existence was. There was to be a royal wedding. Even now, as she lay on this London pavement with these kind strangers around her, A sacrificial virgin was being prepared somewhere up the road to satisfy the need for pomp and circumstance. Union jacks draped everywhere. There was no mistaking that she was home. At last. This England, she murmured. Tell us a little bit more about her. About Kate Atkinson? Yeah, Yeah, so she's written... um a series of crime novels, um, Jackson Brody novels, which are which are called case histories, and it was made into a TV program, which are which are brilliant. Um, yeah, she's just got a very playful voice, a very strong, very strong voice. Like I find, if I try to write something after reading one of her books, I almost end up sounding like a very second-rate version of her. You know, her voice is just so strong in my head. Um, yeah, she's wrote, I don't know, Life After Life is another one that she's, yeah, was quite brilliant, was made into a TV series as well. I just, yeah, I just think she's got quite a unique voice. Okay, and the time we've left, we need to get to television and you've given us three favourite TV shows, which are all brilliant. Tell us about them. Well, I put down Catastrophe. Um, I could have put down any Sharon Horgan show, to be honest. I think everything she does is amazing. Uh I love this too. I love the dynamic between herself and Rob Delaney. Uh, it got quite dark in the third and fourth series, which I, I enjoyed, but it's um, 
Well, it's Cathy Belton who did this last week. The actress said the final scene, that and The Sopranos, have two of the greatest ever finishing scenes to a series. Because you just don't know, do yeah. you? You just don't know what's... It could be good, it could be bad... But yeah, it's a perfect way to end it. I you also it. have Better Call Saul, which would be one of my personal favourites yes. as well. Yeah, so the prequel to um, Breaking Bad, of course. In fact, I think I preferred it to Breaking Bad. You too? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, just so beautifully shot. Um, uh, and I love the way it jumps back and forward in time and the characters are just absolutely brilliant. The dynamic between Jimmy and Kim and, and again, the ending. Wow. And let's play a little bit of a clip from your final choice. And we'll see if people recognise this. This is where hotel manager Armand, played by Murray Bartlett, deals with a complaint about a hotel room from Shane, played by Jake Lacey, and Rachel, played by Alexandra Daddario. Uh, well, you're paying for a presidential ocean view suite. Um, the Palm, that's a very nice room. Totally unique. Right? It's really nice. But no yeah. plunge pool. But you still have the infinity pool, the waterfall pool, and the fountain pool. The right. pineapple suite, it, it has the private pool, but it doesn't have the ocean view. Um, but the privacy would be nice, right? I don't know. Maybe I should call my mother. Do you want to call your mother? What do you think she'll say? I think she's going to say we're in the wrong room. <laughs> but Well, the pineapple suite isn't available, I'm afraid, anyway. Oh, oh. it's not? No, there's a German couple staying there. Is there anything else I can help you with? Or? No, it's... Thank you. Thanks. Of course. I think I might have fucked up and double-booked the pineapple suite. But, you know, hopefully I'll just get over it. See, in situations like that, just always stay positive. Remind these people of, of all the fabulous things they already possess. Unique room, ocean view. You have to treat these people like sensitive children. They always say it's about the money, but it's not. It's not even about the room. They they just need to feel seen. So they want to be the only child, the special chosen baby child of the hotel, and we are their mean mummies denying them their pineapple room. So what was it about the White Lotus did you like so much? Oh, just again, a masterclass in screenwriting. Um, some of the lines will just stay with me forever. It's um, really decadent and delicious and I love the way it just dropped once a week you know because I feel quite excited about watching it and yeah I mean the the way it satirises you know um, the wealthy the wealthy yeah just brilliant and Tiernan it has been great having you here on the Culture Club congratulations on the publication of your debut novel The Last Days of Joy thank you so much for having me The Last Word with Matt Cooper weekdays from 4.30 Today and-